And hey. we are back. Sweeney. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. You stole my thunder. I'm Sweeney glad Hill. I did. Good. I am Selena Hill. We're back with Stanley Fritz on the PC Ones and Twos. This is the awkward Alyssa, hour. I know, Alyssa Fuchs. <laughs> and we are having a great time behind the scenes. I need to be Snapchatting. If you guys could see what goes on behind the scenes. They can, Selena. We're, we, well, we're if on they could stream. hear it. If they could hear it as well, we would have a reality show. I'm just going to leave it at that, guys. I'm going to tell you something, Selena. You're a woman. And Shut I'm up. a man, which All means right, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, thank you for mansplaining nothing to me. I don't mansplain anything. I manspread information. I know, and I hate manspreading as well. You know, get out of my train. Anyway. Right, guys, yeah, so I <laughs> see women manspreading too. So. I do it purposely now. This woman, I do it purposely. Like, I consciously go in trains, like, work, try my best, like, to sit, like, with my legs <laughs> closed. And it's so uncomfortable, but I do it because I don't want to manspread. And then one time I got in the train, and this woman totally went spread eagle. Nah. Right now. No, seriously. And I was like, I'm sorry, could you move over? And she goes, yeah, sure. And like slightly moved her leg in. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with you? That's, it, now you guys know how it feels. Yes. And like, I was really uncomfortable because it was 89 degrees. Just like, it was like two days ago, obviously. So <laughs> I was really hot. And it's just, it was just really frustrating, guys. But who else has been extremely hot or uncomfortably hot over the last two weeks? I know Selena is happy because she's not comfortable unless it's 117 I'm not happy. It's scary. Humid. No, I know. It you're is not. very scary. Selena's, Selena's scary happy, though, because, you know, she likes the apocalypse and whatnot. But it's been right, really like she's gonna get to go to Jesus. Yeah. All right. You <laughs> know what? <laughs> anyway, like we're ha 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 on faith, right? Ha ha ha. No, no, I was no. <laughs> ha ha ha. I'm a believer. Ha ha. That's ha, not. Ha. Uh, nobody's saying it's funny except for you. It's Stanley. Yeah, me too. It's funny. Stanley. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Stanley ha. is. I, I meant it more seriously. Sorry. Like you know. I didn't mean to laugh so much, but anyways, guys, before Alyssa dropped that amazing joke on Selena, um, what I was saying was that it has been uncharacteristically hot. And I remember walking down the street with Marilyn about a month ago, and she she was going, oh my God, I love this weather. And I said, this is not a good thing at all. And she goes, yes, it is. It's November, and we're still warm. And I said, yes, it's November, and you're still getting bit by mosquitoes. That's (laughs) not normal. And she's like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And then the next day, she saw me and she said, I saw a bumblebee. I'm not happy with this weather anymore. And I said, well, actually, seeing a bumblebee is a good thing because they're like they're dying out and we need them for a lot of things. And she didn't understand what I was saying. So I gave her a 20 minute conversation about climate change, which at the end of it, she woke up and said, oh, hey, want to get something to eat? Did you mansplain? No, but she just doesn't listen to me when I start talking about politics or climate change. She just takes a nap and wakes up when I'm done and asks for food, which is like her thing. I don't blame her. She's cute. I let her. But anyways. The point of the conversation was that we, the earth, the world is getting into a very precarious situation where our water, the water levels are rising in places they should not be rising. Ice is melting in places it's not supposed to be melting. The weather is warm and during seasons it's not supposed to be warming. For example, today, New York, December 13th, 2015 at 12:16 p.m. It is approximately 63 degrees outside on December 13th. We are a week away from winter and it feels like it is March 31st. That is that's that's what's going on with the weather. And because of that, states are starting to get worried and so are other countries. They are starting to get worried because they're realizing that the climate actually is shifting. All those things you read about in those notebooks 10 years ago when you were in class and the teacher didn't know what climate change was, so they called it global warming or same-sex marriage because they were kind of weird and Republican. Well, it's <laughs> happening now. And so for this one magical moment, 
all the leaders of the world, or at least all the ones with lots of money and lots of bombs to blow people up for no reason to start wars because they don't like some leader and send your children to war instead of going to fight for themselves, they are coming together in Paris, and they are having this great conversation about climate, and they are going to change the world. And you know what? They may have just done that because yesterday they struck a deal. 200 countries struck a deal to make sure that they reduce climate. And what does that mean for us? Well, it can mean a lot of things. It could mean that we're going to be seeing a shifting to renewable energy. It could mean the death of the oil industry. It could mean that we're going to stop having diesel trucks drive through East Harlem and South Bronx, which is causing young children to get asthma and other respiratory issues. It could mean that we're going to be trying to save the bees. It could mean that nothing's going to happen and the climate will get worse and the weather will get warmer. And one day you'll wake up at two in the morning and it'll be sunny outside and you won't know what is happening. It could mean all of those things. But it's not my job to give you the answers because, guys, I'm possibly drunk, but definitely an idiot. So to help us to have this conversation, we have on a very special guest, and his name is Ethan Spainer. Ethan Spainer is a climate policy associate on the science and solutions team at the Climate Reality Project. I love the Climate Reality, guys. When I first learned how to read last year when Selena taught me, that was the first website that I visited. He supports and advises programs and campaigns on international and domestic climate change law and policy. And climate change is not just about saving the trees. It is not just about hugging a polar bear. It is actually about Jason, who lives on 135th and Amsterdam Avenue, and his house has roaches and rats in there. And he doesn't know this, but their pee and their feces are actually aggravating his asthma making him sick or jessica who lives on 196 and will say inwood and she like you know she has trouble concentrating in school because her apartment is lined with lead and she did not know that and we know that lead lowers your iq and the school is telling her it's her fault when we're not talking about the indoor air pollution that's happening every single day because we don't have strict enough policy to protect her it it is all those things it is the, the countries and the, the in africa it is the family in nigeria it is the the, the the person in South Asia is all these people. And because I don't know how to explain these things because I'm not smart enough, I am good looking enough. We have our friend Ethan. So, Ethan, thank you so much for calling in. And before we continue, please, sir, tell us what your favorite environmentally friendly alcoholic drink is. <laughs> uh, good Belgian beer. I just picked mm, one up, in yes. fact. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to enjoy that later. I'm, I'm excited to enjoy that later. Ooh, yes. And if it's from Belgium, it makes it even better. Everyone knows Belgian beer is not from Belgium. It's from Crenshaw. <laughs> FYI, guys. FYI. Yes, it is not from Crenshaw. So, um, Ethan. Ethan, obviously, I've been over here like having all these conversations about the environment and climate, and I only know two things. One, climate change is real, and two, it is caused by same-sex marriage. Can you tell us what these countries <laughs> were doing to address this and what this, I guess, meeting of minds is called? <laughs> well, marriage didn't come up, but they. Uh, what we had is the, the 21st, what's called Conference of the Parties, to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. It's uh, every year, pretty much every country on Earth gets together and uh, starts talking about climate change and how we're going to address it. Uh, we've been doing this now. This is the, the 21st year in a row. Uh, it all goes back to a treaty that was signed in 1992 called the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And this was a big year for us. So this was a big year. It's like, well, wait, so it happens every single year? Every single year since 1995. So, so they if, signed the agreement in 1992, the original treaty. Yeah. But that didn't, that didn't actually, it, it, it said that we would stabilize greenhouse gas emissions in oh. the atmosphere to, at a safe level, basically. Uh, a, oh, well. a level that wouldn't, that wouldn't disrupt the climate system. But well, didn't actually tell us how to do that. So we had to start having these meetings every year, starting in 1995. Yeah, uh, and we tried a few times. We did once in 1997, 
passed what's called the Kyoto Protocol. That the U.S. Which, didn't uh, sign, correct? The U.S. signed it. They did not ratify it. So they Got took it. it back to the Senate and didn't even submit it for ratification. The Senate said, no way, we're not doing this. The reason being is that uh, the United States and other developed countries, what are called Annex One countries under the convention, they were assigned emissions reduction levels or slight emissions uh, rises, so they would restrain their emissions. Uh, but developing countries, most of the world, were not assigned to those. They could they could do pretty much whatever they wanted. They included China. That included India. They were expected to report a little bit, but they didn't actually have to reduce emissions because really what comes first for those countries and what should come first is poverty reduction. They needed to develop. They needed to take care of their own citizens. And we all agreed that was the right thing to do. But since the United States didn't sign on, we were at the time the world's biggest emitter. China has now passed us. But since we didn't sign on, the agreement didn't mean that much. And so they tried again in 2009 in Copenhagen. They said, we're going we're gonna to redo it. We're going we're gonna to come up with a new agreement. And this time we're going to get everybody together. It wasn't done as well as it should have been done. I don't think the political capital was there to have it be done. And of course, Barack Obama had just gotten into office. It was like his first year in office. So uh, the U.S. wasn't really prepared to do the things that we needed to do. And I don't think the rest of the world was either. Okay. So what we did is we said, we said we did like a voluntary thing. And in t- 2011, said we're going to try it one more time. We got one last chance. We're going to do it in 2015. That was COP21. Ended yesterday. Mm. And it happened. Finally, Barack Jaquan Hussein Obama has accomplished something. Besides causing Obamacare, which is allowing same-sex marriage, and climate change, which is caused by same-sex marriage, he is now addressing these things that's going to help the environment. Possibly, Barack Obama. <laughs> so my question for you now is we got this COT21 thing happening, and they've come to an agreement, and this is the first time it's, it's happened where like people are agreeing to these things. Like, it's in a long time. So now, what does this agreement look like? What does it mean for the U.S.? What does it mean for Russia or these other countries who like the pollutant stuff? So the cool thing about this agreement is that everybody signed on and everybody said they're going to do something. The world is still different. The U.S. is still much richer than uh, your average African country or India or uh, even some developed countries. But everyone said every five years we're going to put forth a new agreement, a new uh, commitment to reduce our greenhouse gases or restrict our use of greenhouse gases. And we're going to review those commitments and make sure that on a whole we're doing, the, doing a good job. Developed countries are going to continue to provide financing to help developing countries develop on a low-carbon pathway, use more renewable energy, be more resilient to the impacts of climate change already. And... Uh, and, and yeah, so that is what's called differentiation, the difference between developed and developing countries. I, that sounds very interesting since I don't believe in climate change. I don't know what you just said. But guys, if you're listening, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Alyssa, explain to me the trees in the forest. Okay, so I actually have a question for you, Ethan, which is, you know, I was reading a New York Times article this morning uh, that basically was saying that a bunch of scientists who are at the talks, who have closely monitored the talks, saying that this is not the agreement that we really needed, that itself, uh, this agreement will not save the planet because it just doesn't go far enough and because it doesn't have anything that necessarily binds 
uh, countries without, I mean, uh, that binds countries to actually act. It does it more through binding them to report certain things and sort of what they call, quote unquote, name and shame. So um, do you, I, I was hoping that you could address sort of the contention of some scientists that this agreement doesn't go far enough. Um, and the idea of how, you know, we have to get as far as we can get within the political climate sort of that we have. Um, and I guess the political climate doesn't lend itself to an agreement that goes even further. But with this agreement in place, do we expect it to lower the global temperature to the place where we need it to be so that we don't have this catastrophic events that we expect to have if the global temperature goes up past a certain point? Well, first of all, those scientists are right to an extent. This doesn't bind us to anything. It, the Kyoto Protocol tried that, said you're bound to do this. The United States can't do that. If we signed on to something like that, we would have to bring it back to the U.S. Senate and have them ratify it. And I think we all know what would happen if we brought a climate change agreement where the international community set the, the limits for the smoke that could come out of our, our coal plants and out of our natural gas plants and out of our tailpipes. If we brought that, that back to the Republican-controlled Senate, it was, it's not going to pass, not going to pass at all. So what this one does is it establishes a framework for action. And right now, what's on the table, the commitments that countries have made to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions are not enough. By 2030, they said that it would, the, the UN said that it would raise global temperatures under these commitments, still 2.7 degrees Celsius. And that's too much. They've agreed that the safe limit is two. And in this agreement, they said, we're going to try for 1.5. Right. 1.5 degrees Celsius. Um, Ethan, so I had a question because you just made a really interesting point. You said that, you know, no matter what is signed, what was signed in Paris with this historic agreement, it's not binding. And and you brought up what would happen if we actually try to pass this through in our current Congress now. So that's the question I had. I mean, we had President Obama over there, you know, working for the planet and helping, you know, and, and helping us when it comes to combating climate change. But, you know, when it comes to the Republicans, like, aren't they actively trying to make like undercut Obama right now and didn't they actually do something to show like you know what Obama I don't care what you do over there here in America we are not going to stop carbon emission because it's going to mess with our coal industry and we're not going to we're not going to have people losing jobs and we're not going to have these lobbyists getting back um getting mad at us because they put money in our pockets and that's true and they are trying very very hard to stop this and We've done a great job of protecting it so far, and President Obama has done an amazing job of using his executive authority to do what is best for this country in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions from coal plants, reducing them from, from automobiles, making your cars more fuel efficient. But the Republicans do continue to try. The fact of the matter is, is that they don't have the support of the public. About 65-75% of the public likes the clean power plan, the rules that the EPA put in restricting greenhouse gases from, from coal-fired power plants and natural gas plants. And uh, it, it just makes it that much more important for citizens like you and I, and especially groups like the Climate Reality Project, to make a lot of noise and really get people on our side. And say, um, so it looks, looks like we lost um, Ethan for a moment, but like while he is away, I will give you some context behind the Clean Power Plan. The Clean Power Plan was um, pretty much an initiative started by the um, President Obama and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to reduce carbon emissions by the levels they were at in 1992 by the year 2030. And the way that they want states to do this is to come up with their own plans 
to like reduce emissions in their states using green or clean energy resources. So on um, my organization, We Act for Environmental Justice, has been work doing a lot of work around that because we want to make sure that no matter what plan they use, states use to reduce emissions, they include the communities who are hit the hardest by climate change in this process because you might be doing something that reduces emissions, but then in order to do that, you have to push like a practice that's bad for the environment somewhere else. It usually gets pushed to poor neighborhoods. So for example, um, we have a sewage treatment facility on um, 145th Street and Riverside, right? And usually when you have a sewage um, facility, you put it at the lowest level because like it's sewage that has to drain. It's at the highest point in New York, pardon me, in Manhattan. And like that's one of those cases because 59th Street didn't want it, Chelsea didn't want it, so they put it where they thought they could get away with it, right. form an environmental justice. But guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue this conversation with Ethan, we'll continue talking about COP21, and we'll continue talking about ways that we can become more climate resilient. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Some nerve you have to break up my lonely. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about the COP21 conference, a conference on climate change that we have been doing for over 20 years now. And today it actually mattered because yesterday they came up to an agreement to reduce carbon emissions. On the line with us, we have, um, and I'm going to butcher his name, so I want to make sure I go to my notes so I don't get it wrong. Ethan Spanner, and he is the policy associate at Climate Reality. So Ethan has been helping us kind of understand what's going on at the COP21 conference, the agreement, the deal, how it affects America, other countries, and how it affects U.S. citizens. I know Alyssa had a question, so we're going to throw it to her first. Alyssa, go ahead. I do. Good morning, Ethan. Um, Alyssa Fuchs here. Um, You know, actually, when I was prepping for this segment yesterday, I happened to look you up, and I noticed that you went to law school and that you have a legal background as well. Um, So I guess my question actually is about that, and I realized that you do work in policy now for climate reality, but I was hoping you can give us some insight into the Supreme Court overturning the uh, EPA air pollution rules. That was back in June. The Supreme Court um, had a case. It was Michigan versus the EPA. They ruled that the EPA did not properly consider the costs of the regulation. Um, and then the next day, literally the very next day after the ruling came out, the EPA basically said the Supreme Court ruling won't stop them from enforcing climate change rules. So I was hoping that, you know, using the fact that you have some of a legal background and as well as a background working in these climate change issues that are so important, you could address the Michigan versus the EPA ruling and talk about how that may play into this larger conversation of the talks that happened in Paris this weekend or the past two weeks. Sure, no problem. So what that uh, what that particular case was about was about uh, hazardous air pollutants under a, a different part of the Clean Air Act, and you do have to take costs into account uh, in that case. Under uh, when when you look at when you put together a regulation, you say how much is this going to cost, and how much uh, what's the public good that comes out of it. Uh, in that case. You know, I'm not terribly familiar with this, this one right now, but uh, it didn't affect the the Clean Air Act in the terms of the Clean Power Plan. 
because it's under, first of all, under a different rule. Second of all, they were putting together the clean power plan in a way in which it's very flexible. So the states are allowed to uh, make their own rules, determine how they're going to meet the targets that's been. Looks like we lost Sean again, having some trouble with the phone. So we'll get him back. But he was just once again explain the clean power plan, like I mentioned before, about like, you know, like how states have flexibility to kind of make their own rules and determine how they're going to reach the targets. But Alyssa wanted to give you guys some context behind the COP21 deal. So, Alyssa, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I actually was hoping that we would get this from Ethan. But since we're having some phone trouble, I'll give you some of the details. Uh, One of the main things is that the countries will pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which which is uh, above the pre-industrial levels, recognizing that that would be a significant way to reduce the risks and the impacts of climate change. Uh, two, they would help to the countries who are involved in this would help to preserve the forests by reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation and uh, doing sustainable management of forests through conservation. Uh, three, uh, there would be some financial responsibility in that um, developed countries would take a lead in mobilizing climate finances uh, from a wide variety of sources in in being able to help other countries, developing countries, to fund some of their efforts since, as I think our guest rightly pointed out, the reason why the 2009 Copenhagen thing really sort of fell apart and also the previous agreements haven't worked is because the developing countries were not subject to the same rules. Um, there would also be increased transparency, a framework for action and sur- for support between these countries, and there would be a balance uh, between emission sources and removing uh, some of the greenhouse gas in the second half of the century. Uh, and the big part about this is that every single party to this agreement uh, would have to come back every five years and report how they were doing to the other parties. Uh, and that was sort of the name and shame type of thing. So if they're not meeting their obligations, the other countries are going to know about it. Stanley. Oh, thank you. Um, so, so we have Ethan back in the line. And again, guys, he's calling in all the way from Paris, one of my favorite countries in the world outside of america um i wanted to talk about uh, sorry paris is a city thank you Alyssa. he's he's calling in from france um shows how much i learned when i was over there nothing exactly i was just eating food and having fun okay so here's the question i had Ethan, was this covering this conference cop 21 in any way frustrating i was following along not too, not, I wasn't too delved into it, but, you know, I was following it along and I saw that China and India in particular didn't necessarily like they had some apprehensions and they didn't necessarily want to sign on to the bill because this would affect, you know, their ability to develop and make money and to continue to develop into this capitalist society. And the thing is, America and all of the other industrialistic countries are really responsible for all the carbon emissions and China and, 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 and China and India. Yeah. Those countries are the greatest contributors yeah. to emissions. Yeah, like they're the big they're the big troublemakers. So it was frustrating. Wow, yeah. So this is what happens when you call from Paris. It can get a little you know bit how iffy. it goes. Did we get it? It you still there? Yeah, yeah, we got you. It can get a little bit frustrating. You know that there are gonna be speed bumps. You know that when meetings get pushed back that there's a problem. But I have got to give all the credit in the world to the French government for the way that they conducted themselves over the past year to just get countries together at many different points during the year, have them come into the room, get them to the table, talk about their differences. So um, we lost Ethan again. No, do we have him? 
He's just cutting out. Yeah, he's just cutting out at the moment. So we did, we did lose Ethan. I'll keep his um, mic on so that when he comes in, we'll get him. But he was pretty much talking about the way that the French government has worked to kind of um, coordinate this process and make sure that everyone was on the same page so that we could eventually come to a deal. And he's absolutely right because when we look at this thing, we look at it from the purview of America and what America is doing. But this is a collaborative process, and it cannot happen. It's not just going to happen because Barack Obama goes down there and says, let's get a climate deal. The only way it happens is, is if all these countries work together. Right. And I think and this is the one thing I really wanted to ask, Ethan. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we're having some connection problems, but which is, you know, do we expect these countries to actually follow through? Like, how do we expect countries like America, where on one hand we have the president who's pushing clean climate power plan um, and we have a good majority of people in this country that support that plan as Ethan Part now but we have people in Congress that are obstructing it and so you know how are we going to actually reduce our emissions here in America and how are other countries going to actually follow through uh, considering the fact that they're not bound and how does sort of our own politics internal politics within a country conflict with the greater diplomacy that we saw at this conference Um, you know I know that some of that or my personal feelings on some of that is that you know, things are not going to happen. But I also want to be optimistic that with the shaming that when we have to come back and report and if people are not upholding their ends, that other countries are going to shame them because at the end of the day, like we have one planet and, you know, we're all on it together. And if, you know, not everybody's got to be everybody's got to be on the same page, because if everybody's not on the same page, then other countries are going to continue to pollute. And it doesn't matter what we do. Um, if they keep doing it. So everybody's got to be on everybody else's back if we actually want to not come up to that threshold that scientists say is unsafe and is not sustainable. Ethan, um, glad to have you back. Uh, the question I want, I want to transition this to now is how does this affect just regular Americans? Like, How should we be looking at this agreement? Oh, we, do we, did we <laughs> lose like him we, again? I guess we did. You know what? He's so... There okay. we go. I think yeah, there's a delay, so why don't we give him a second after we ask a question? That's a good point. Go ahead, Ethan. Well, first of all, in terms of China, okay, good to be a low carbon to develop on a low carbon pathway is the right way to do things anymore these days. The costs of renewable energy are falling incredibly. You've seen the smog and the coal pollution in places like Shanghai and Beijing, New Delhi. <laughs> This is really affecting the quality of life of their citizens. And I think in part why China decided that they wanted to start addressing climate change is that they understood that it was hurting their citizens and it was hurting the ability for the Chinese economy to grow any further. And now they're starting, if you, you change to a low carbon economy, you see this, this green economy grow, the jobs that grow with it, the gross domestic product and economic output that comes with it. And you end up with a more better, sustainable society and more healthy society because of it. In terms of how it affects us as the normal person, ideally, it won't affect you at all. Mm. You'll, we're not trying to go backwards here. We're not trying to turn ourselves back to the Middle Ages. We want to progress as a society continuously. But in order to do that, we need to make sure that the way we do it is sustainable. When you go and you flip your light on or you start your car, you know, at some point it'll be an electric car, mm-hmm. it should happen in pretty much the same way. And you won't know where your electricity is coming from. I mean, do you, do you think now of the, of the coal plant where your electricity might be coming from, or in your guys' case, it might be from Indian Point, from the nuclear plant? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. No, so they don't. if it's coming from solar or if it's coming from wind, it shouldn't make that difference either. Yeah. Uh, and it hopefully the biggest difference you see is the way that the economy is growing. So what do we say to people that say that, you know, at least in America, oh. that what do, that say, oh, well, we're going to lose all these jobs, all these coal jobs, all these oil jobs. Um, you know, even people are saying or actually and take that one step further. People are saying, oh, well, let's do fracking instead, because, uh, you know, we've actually found that fracking helps to reduce the amount of emissions that are going on. I mean, on when somebody like me says, like, let's go green completely, screw fracking, um, you know. So what do we say to those people when it comes to jobs? Like the everyday person who's going, well, if we get rid of coal, then I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. Like, what do we say to that person uh, when it comes to this agreement about how, you know, like, how do we explain to them there may be a job in green energy for them? Is there going to be? Like, how do we counteract that notion of like, I'm against this because it affects my pocket? Well, the facts tell themselves, I think, tell the story right there. I was just saying there are twice as many solar jobs as there are coal jobs in the United States. You look, I just saw this week that the Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada that's building batteries for not just Tesla cars, but also starting to work on batteries for your home that can store solar power, that can store uh, any type of electricity that you bring into it. There's like 2,000 jobs online right now that are open just for that factory. And there are more of those factories coming from Tesla, from other companies. And then the second part to that is that there are parts of the country that are going to be negatively affected and are already being negatively affected by the downturn in coal. Let's not pretend coal is a booming industry. It's, it's not. It's going downhill. And President Obama has instructed the EPA to do some, some very cool things uh, that take care of those in coal mining areas, help them transition and learn new skills, uh, give them the security to know that if they do lose their job, that they'll have a safety net to fall back on. So we're not going to lose these people. We're not going to leave these people behind. That's not the American way. The American way is to transition to a new opportunity, grab that opportunity, and keep going forward. Right. Um, and again, guys, <clears throat> if you're listening and you want to tweet us, you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. We are talking with Ethan Spainer. He's from the Climate Reality Project. Uh, he's calling in all the way from Paris. So I just want to say, so is this a, the deal that came out of Co- um, COP21? Is this something that we should be applauding? Or, you know, what's the next move? You work in an, a climate change um, a, 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 a organization that combats climate change. Stanley works for a, a, a company that also, um, a not-for-profit actually, that works against um, for environmental justice. So, like, what do we do? Like, what should these organizations on the ground here in America start doing? Well, we can applaud it for now, but, you know, tomorrow we should start the hard work. Uh, And Stanley, and you guys are exactly right, that climate change is not just an environmental issue. It's a social issue. It's a justice issue. It's an economic issue. You should, I'm of the opinion that all the noise you make to talk about the climate crisis and its urgency is good noise. We need to counteract those who are spending billions of dollars to shut us up. So get to your communities, find, uh, find, a, find a group in your community that's working on especially justice issues that go around climate change and environmental issues, around economic issues, around clean energy issues. At the Climate Reality Project, we have a few trainings every year where our chairman, Al Gore, our founder and chairman, Al Gore, goes through a slideshow, teaches you how to become a good climate activist, teaches you how to tell the story of climate change, 
And we're going to be bringing one of those trainings to the United States next year. We're not sure when or where yet, but you just keep an eye on climaterealityproject.org. And as soon as we have the details, they'll be up there. Thank you very, very much, Ethan. Thank you so much for calling in and giving us this great information. And hopefully people are engaged, excited, and ready to become active because that is always the goal. So, guys, it is time for me to give... God bless you, Stanley. I know, right? Goodness. Something's going around. It's the climate. It's climate change. (laughs) That really caught me off guard. But anyways, guys, it's time for me to give a closing statement. And, I mean, what can I really tell you? Well, I can tell you this. On Monday, I got a news alert. And I think most people who um, check their emails got a news alert that people in um, northern Manhattan should stay indoors because there was an air alert. So there were certain particles in the air that were going to make you sick. That we're gonna hurt your that we're gonna hurt your health and your quality of life, and we know that because some of our friends actually were extremely sick because of this air alert, and those kind of air alerts are happening all over the place right now. In China, they have smog days where the smog is so bad children cannot go to school because they're getting asthma attacks, they're passing out, they cannot breathe. You have certain countries in Africa where there is no clean water because there have been so much drilling going on over there, whether for coals, for diamonds, or natural gas. Because we know that in New York, natural gas um, drilling is banned, but not necessarily in Sierra Leone or maybe in Ghana. We know that there's a town right now in Ohio that has earthquakes now because, once again, hydrofracking, that natural gas drilling, has now affected the the quality of like of their water and also call, has caused low level earthquakes. We know that this issue of climate is happening all over the world. So while this COP21 deal may not seem like it is the biggest thing or the biggest deal for all of us, it is a very huge deal. It is a huge deal for these countries who have not contributed to climate change but are suffering the effects from it now. It is a huge deal for the person who used to work in a coal mining factory and lost his job and is wondering how he can take care of his family because now all of a sudden he may have a new opportunity with solar panels or wind farming. It is an opportunity to be climate resilient, to be intelligent, to be smart, and be deliberate about the way that we live our lives, breathe our air, and build our energy. And if we are smart and we want to see a prosperous future, we will go all in. Because if we don't, we'll be underwater, overheated, and overexposed, and we can't survive like that. There's no other option. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I'll be right back. When we return, it'll be the quickie.